It's been two years, four months, and 26 days since I last treated a patient. I really went back and forth on whether I should make this episode or not. This podcast has always been about trying to teach where I can, build a sense of community for people who feel like they're alone in a situation, and ultimately try to do a little something to make the world better. Talking about the worst I've ever seen doesn't seem to fit any of those criteria. While I'm perfectly happy using my snide sense of humor in tough situations, there's a line on whether humor can be applied or not. The purpose of this episode does not warrant any form of humor. In the end, I decided to go forward with this only because of several people I trust telling me I shouldn't keep it to myself. I was reminded how this whole thing started, my story of burnout, which was another heavy episode that did not lighten the load with humor. Now that my forewarning is done, let's dive in. I mentioned a while ago that it's incredibly common for patients to think they have the worst or most complex case I've ever seen. I understand the nature of the question. Every patient I saw had the same perspective. Our experiences are relative, and there are many times where pain and dysfunction can last for so long and so heavily influence daily life, it can seem like a uniquely bad case. A person's experience of suffering is real, and they may not have seen someone else who's struggled as much as they have. They're, they may also have been have stumped many other providers they've seen as well. This is usually where the question, is this the worst or most complex insert thing here you've ever seen, would come up. While I was always kind in my delivery, the answer was categorically no, not even a little close. I think many people would default to the starving children in Africa argument at this point. I've never liked that argument against someone who's having a rough time. Sure, relatively speaking, the child is suffering more than you, but stress hormones aren't aware of the plight of a starving child. Your system is reacting in a way that is still intense. There's also the effect that a person can rise to or lower to the occasion. When shit is really bad, the system can temper the emotional reactions to internal stresses so you can still survive the day. When it's not too bad, then the stress hormones get to go on a rampage against your emotional centers because your survival isn't under threat. My point is that what follows is not the starving children in Africa argument. It is not meant to shame you if you've ever wondered if you've experienced the worst or the most complex compared to others. It is only to explain what the worst I've ever seen actually means. I need to take an aside here. I cannot actually tell the stories that are the worst I've ever seen. They are so horrific that even if I remove names, birth dates, demographics, and every other patient identifying information, the physical details of the horror that they experienced and the lasting deformities that they caused would be enough to identify the patient if you were ever to see them. I also really want to drill that horror part home. It isn't that the horror is specific enough that you could Google the details and find the individual patient. Each of the situations that fit the category of the worst I've ever seen will not show up in a, show up in a Google search. There's a line in journalism that isn't crossed when it comes to reporting really terrible things. That line exists when the story is so bad it only causes damage to print it. Now, if you were to Google something like catastrophic injury, horrible car accident, or something else you'd expect to return gruesome results, you will see exactly what you searched for, gruesome results. Rest assured, 
nothing that comes up in those searches is worse than what I've seen before. Also know the level of horror I've seen in my professional experience is not unique to me as a healthcare provider. I also know that wild imagination of what I might have seen is not concrete enough to let you compare your experience with another person's, particularly when unimaginably bad things have happened to that other person. So I'm going to talk about relatively common things that are terrible to give you some level of barometer for how awful it can get. I'll start off with gunshot wounds. These are far more destructive than you might imagine from TV and movies. We all know that entertainment is never accurate, but I find gunshot wounds to be one of the easiest ways to break my immersion. Never mind how many shoulder gunshot wounds on TV and movies have actually penetrated a lung and yet leaves the victim relatively unfazed. I want to talk about situations where a bullet hits a bone. There's plenty of soft tissue damage that occurs with a gunshot wound, but when a bullet collides with a bone, there's a special level of destruction. It's not uncommon for the bone to effectively shatter. I've seen a fair amount of thigh bone and upper arm bone gunshot injuries that all had the same method of surgical repair. Generally, when you fracture a bone, the surgeon will use several screws plus or minus some metal plates to put the two sides of the broken bone next to each other and stabilize it so the body can create a new bone can create new bone to bridge the two pieces back together. If the bone explodes, those fragments are often not large enough to brace with a plate or put several screws through. In these circumstances, the surgeon has to use what's called an external fixator. This is when a long metal rod is screwed into each individual piece of bone through the skin. Then, a halo-like scaffolding is created around the limb where each of the rods can be attached. While bone can heal together to stability in a matter of weeks, and this is true even with an external fixator, the issue is that there's a giant apparatus around your limb with many rods poking through your skin into the bone fragments. That is to say, the healing bone has a direct contact to the outside world through the rod penetrating the patient's skin. This means that that infection is much more likely since you can't truly close or cover the wound. An infection reaching the bone can create a plethora of complications. And even without infection, it's quite hard to have a limb function totally normally again when the bone has effectively exploded. While I won't classify gunshot wounds as the worst I've ever seen, it's very rare that there aren't some serious long-term implications for having had one. You for damn sure aren't walking around with only a minor limp and doing crazy acrobatics immediately after being shot like in the movies. Let's take this one step further. Let's imagine that your pelvis explodes. Think about what it would be like to have three metal halos around your pelvis with 17 rods going into the shattered bone through your flesh. Now, lay down in bed. It may not have crossed your mind yet, but if your pelvis is exploded, you really can't stand on your legs. Now that you've put yourself in the mindset of laying in bed with a giant metal apparatus drilled into you, imagine what happens when you cough or sneeze or even try to move your arm to scratch your face. All of those things require core muscle activation in and around the pelvis. Next, think about how often you roll over in bed. Naturally, with this giant external fixator, you can't do that. You need help. So, several people come in 
and they do their best to roll all of you over as a single segment, but this level of perfect coordination among multiple people is impossible. Keep in mind that bone is very fragile when it's trying to bridge itself back together, so every jarring movement made is shearing the bones, setting the healing back. Also, that shearing will cause an excruciating amount of pain. You also can't just lay in one position to avoid this, because that will create pressure ulcers. If you aren't aware, a pressure ulcer is a type of wound that develops due to lack of blood flow from pressure. And of course, it can't heal if you keep pressure on that wound. In other words, frequent rolling is mandatory. Fortunately, bone healing, like I said, is relatively quick if the fracture can be stabilized. In this circumstance, it would be very hard to keep healing bones stable simply because the amount of movement is, that is required. It'll take quite a bit longer to get the bones to stitch, stitch themselves back together. When they do, then the next phase of rehab starts. Trying to get all of the damaged and deconditioned muscles of the pelvis to work again. Of course, there's limitations here because the pelvis would not be perfectly put back together again. Surgeons can only do so much. Muscles are adaptive, but your center of mass is inside your pelvis. So without full stability and control of this region, the rest of your body cannot effectively be well controlled. This is equivalent to building a house on a sponge instead of a concrete foundation. The house would not stand. Fortunately, you are not a house. You are a person with adaptive muscles. And unlike a house, you might be able to get back to standing and walking. However, it would be really hard to get back to an organized walk. You would likely need a walker for assistance for an indefinite to possibly permanent amount of time. Now imagine if you had this kind of injury when you were, say, 25 years old. This imagination game is only tied to external fixators, and no, external fixators are not the worst I've ever seen. It does at least give you the chance to have a tangible, imagined experience to run against your actual experience. As I said before, this episode is not to create shame about a sense of suffering you may have experienced, but I do have an agenda. Your healthcare providers have pain too. Some of it may be physical with the job, but more than that, we have also seen the worst. We are trained to not take in our patients' conditions emotionally, but it is impossible to get away from some of the horror we see. When you come into a clinic with personal agency and have a civil conversation with the provider, know that we have worked with patients who cannot. Patients who should not be alive, have no reason to keep living, and yet they are. Sometimes patients in a state that is the worst we've ever seen can still recognize a life beyond their own. They can even sometimes express gratitude when they have no reason to feel grateful with the life they are now faced with living. Enter my agenda for this episode. I want to ask you to truly work with your healthcare provider. A patient and a provider are in a partnership, and we need your help to ease your pain and suffering. If the worst we've ever seen can do that, I don't think it's unfair to ask everyone else to do the same. Signing off for today. Never settle for mediocre, but be careful how hard you burn striving for greatness. Sometimes that cost is more than your mind can afford. <laughs>